The America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, dedicated to helping you experience all the benefits of time outside and stay more comfortable while you're out there. From soft and breathable activewear designed to do it all, to just right layers perfect for changing weather, to sun smart clothing that blocks the sun's harmful rays, every L.L. Bean product is made with comfortable time outside in mind. Visit LLBean.com to shop now. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Nestled between the San Bernardino and Coxcomb Mountains lies the confluence of the Mojave and Colorado deserts, where the wind rushes through the rocks and valleys. At night, it's the only sound, other than the occasional hoot of an owl and the sound of your own breath. This is the soundtrack of Joshua Tree. National Park. I'm Jason Epperson, and our story today on America's National Parks comes from Lauren Eisenberg Davis, an excerpt from her book, Songs of Joshua Tree, an odyssey through the music history of the park and its surrounds. Living alone at the remote Lost Horse Cabin, beyond the service road only sign, beyond the locked gate ahead sign, beyond the do not enter sign, up the long, winding dirt road flanked by Joshua trees, Mojave yuccas, fields of desert dandelions, blooming cacti, and other desert wildflowers, Lauren spent two weeks as artist-in-residence at Joshua Tree National Park in California. The book is the project that resulted from her residency. Songs of Joshua Tree is a work of literary art, using oral history, documented artifacts, and her experience living in the region for several weeks, exploring music over the course of history in the area that now comprises Joshua Tree and its surrounds. During her time at the park, she met with descendants of pioneer families and musicians from the three primary Native American tribes that had inhabited the park. She explored the park itself, seeking places and artifacts of musical significance. Each night, she fell asleep to the sound of the wind howling through the park and awoke in the morning to the hoo-hoo, knock-knock-knock, of the great horned owl and ladder-backed woodpecker in her yard, which served to underscore that in addition to the music people sang, played, and wrote here, the desert makes its own music. There was no internet connectivity or cell phone reception at the cabin, and the lack of digital distractions opened her senses to the desert environment. She felt a heightened awareness of the sounds around her. In Joshua Tree, every sound stands on its own. With no recording equipment, she recorded the sounds of the desert, both of human musicians and of the landscape itself, in the only way she knew how, through her words. Here's Abigail Trebue. I journeyed into the desert with a guitar and a yearning to know what songs I would be compelled to play and what music the people who traveled this region played before me. Yesterday, yesteryear, and as far back as there were people at this intersection of the Mojave and Colorado deserts. Music is the very soul of society. Look at the lyrics of any song in any decade and the history and fabric of that era come to life in a way that can't be captured by history books. Music preserves a snapshot in time, events, attitudes, oppression, freedom. 
Some parks have an obvious relationship with music that is integral to the purpose and personality of the park. New Orleans Jazz National Historic Park was founded to preserve the relationship of the city of New Orleans and the jazz music that originated there. The tiny storefront of Jazz National Historic Park, set along the mighty Mississippi, is deceptive. The park permeates the many neighborhoods of the city, accessible via annotated walking tours to once vibrant clubs that brought jazz to prominence. Fort McHenry National Monument and Historic Shrine in Baltimore is the site where Francis Scott Key penned the Star-Spangled Banner. As a result, our national anthem is inextricably tied to Fort McHenry, which has its own music ensemble, the Fort McHenry Guard, and hosts numerous major musical events every year, ranging from musicians in period costumes playing period instruments from the War of 1812 and the Civil War, to current military ensemble featuring crisp, modern uniforms and the instruments we know and play today. It's a place to hear multiple versions of Yankee Doodle as it changed over time, or Anchors Away, or I'm Proud to Be an American, amidst a wash of military garb and gear, a patriotic audience, and the steady stream of boats that today still sail past the star-shaped fort into the Baltimore Harbor from Chesapeake Bay. Fort McHenry is a park steeped in the musical identity of our country. With Joshua Tree National Park, it's more subtle. If you Google Joshua Tree Music, you can find out all about the Joshua Tree Music Festival, the Irish rock band U2's 1987 recording, The Joshua Tree, and the experiences of numerous famous musicians who ventured to Joshua Tree for spiritual connectivity, inspiration, and sometimes experimentation with mind-altering drugs. But long before the advent of Woodstock-like music festivals, long before U2, music was already part of the culture of the area that now comprises Joshua Tree National Park. One could imagine writing a book about the history of music at Joshua Tree without ever setting foot in the park. A plethora of material exists. Descriptions of the songs of the Native Americans, some references to Gold Rush and cowboy songs of the region, oral histories of homestead families, and the varied contemporary music events linked to Joshua Tree. Why then pursue this project as an artist-in-residence? Why should a former city slicker turned suburbanite live in a rustic cabin in an isolated section of Joshua Tree National Park to create this work? Anybody can understand the role that Fort McHenry played in Francis Scott Key's writing of the Star-Spangled Banner from history books and museums. But going to the park, singing the national anthem under the enormous replica flag, standing on the ramparts looking out over the cannons to the harbor, and watching a lone bugler play taps atop those ramparts at dusk adds an intimacy that makes the story personal. It puts you at the site of a historic event. It becomes a part of your personal history. For all of my adult life, I've been a Baltimorean, Fort McHenry is my park. I go there frequently to attend twilight tattoo ceremonies replete with music and military pageantry, for the nearly annual Flag Day concerts and fireworks, and to photograph the boats and the Francis Scott Key Bridge from behind the cannons. And so I needed to go to Joshua Tree 
to meet the descendants of the Native Americans who lived there, to see the remnants of the mines and ranches, to find out whether homesteader Bill Keyes left behind any sheet music or diaries about the music he played on his guitar or accordion, and to read the titles of the Keyes family player piano rolls, if they still existed, to sing cowboy songs in my cabin and to experience a sound bath at the mysterious building called the Integratron. I needed to see what kind of materials existed in the park from which instruments could be made, to hear both the local singers and the sounds of my own voice in the desert, to listen to the harsh, sweeping landscape in the stillness of the night. There is an intimacy in thinking that the national parks belong not just to all America collectively, but to each individual independently. I wanted to develop an intimate relationship with Joshua Tree National Park, to be immersed long enough that it became comfortable, like an old friend, while always maintaining a sense of wonder. I bring home something intangible from each park I visit, a oneness with the specific natural beauty of a unique place and time, and an understanding of the importance of the park in history and ecology. And I leave behind a little bit of myself at each one because the journey changes me. Songs of Joshua Tree is meant to be neither an exhaustive inventory of every music event nor every song written in the area, but it paints the landscape of music that touched and shaped the lives of people here. Each culture brought its own contribution to the history of the park, including music history. Sometimes these groups or individuals influenced each other, but there's no holistic arc of music progression seen over the course of time. There are pockets of aha moments when something in a latter era evokes something earlier in history. And there are specific instances of one group borrowing music traditions from another. To a large degree, the progression mirrored what happened musically everywhere in this country. But the specific landscape and events of this desert park contributed a unique slant and mysticism that can only be understood by looking at the physical features of the desert and its oases and the historic events that took place here. You can find Songs of Joshua Tree on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback versions. Joshua Tree National Park is opened year-round, with the busy season being October through May. If you can stand the soaring summer temps, you'll find the park a little less crowded in the off-season. There are few facilities within the park's 800,000 acres, making Joshua Tree a true desert wilderness just a few hours outside of Los Angeles, San Diego, Las Vegas, and Phoenix. Internet and cell service is unreliable in Joshua Tree, and the majority of the 500 campsites can be reserved at recreation.gov, with a handful being first come, first served. If you're wanting hookups for your RV, you're probably going to want to camp outside the park, but if tent camping or boondocking is your thing, the views of the night sky in Joshua Tree can't be beat. 
This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, narrated by Abigail Trebu, and written by Lauren Eisenberg Davis. We hope you'll consider supporting us through our Patreon program for less than a dollar an episode. You can help us make these episodes possible by hiring writers to track down the stories you care about at patreon.com slash national parks podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast, and you can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America Podcast, available wherever you listen to this one. And if you're interested in RV travel, check out rvmiles.com or find us at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.